Welcome to our first ever episode of the Poolside Genius. We're sitting here by the pool, enjoying the beautiful weather, thinking about sports, getting ready to argue our tails off all about the topics that are affecting the sports world today. I'm Bender with my co-host, Reams. How you doing? And we're here getting really excited about today's topics. A lot of different topics were uh, in the heat here of early July, so there's uh, plenty of different sports topics um, and we'll be coming from it from a different viewpoint, not only as sports enthusiasts, but pretty much dealing from our uh, experiences, both uh, players, but also uh, coaches. All right, we're going to get to our next segment where we are doing a deep dive, where we really go into depth about certain topics. Today, we're going to look at the Phillies, pretenders or contenders. Reams, what are you thinking? I think, well, the interesting thing with the Phils is they're entering a uh, segment of their schedule where they're going to be playing a bunch of teams under 500. Uh, so with the uh, trading deadline coming up, I think you, you got to realize that they're going to be looking like contenders. And in regards to that, I think Klintak should make some definite moves. Well, when you look at being contenders or pretenders at this point in time, you know, those teams that – you know, they're they're on the cusp, maybe. They usually do all right, but then after the All-Star break, when injuries start to pile up, when we really get into the season, their depth is really tested. I, I, I think they're doing great. I think they're exceeding expectations, but I'm not sure that you really want to go and make a move because they might be contenders for a playoff spot, but I don't think they're playoff or World Series contenders. Well, I think what you got to realize is what type of move. I, Klintak definitely has to shore up the bullpen, at least with some uh, depth. I think that would help. I, I realize uh, they have Nashek coming back, but uh, I think what we're really alluding to is do they make a major move, especially with the Orioles leaving uh, yesterday, do they make that move for Machado? I think that's what you're really kind of alluding to, and uh, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big topic. I mean, Machado, he's a great baseball player. I mean, he gives you gold glove defense. He has 21 home runs so far. Uh, you know, good base runner. Again, leadership. He's still very young. He can play shortstop, third base. Again, two giant holes right now for the Phillies. I think that certainly you, you got to love the player, and I think any team would really want to have him on their team. But I just don't think that he's guaranteed to stick around in a free agency. I believe Scott Boris is his agent. I think that, you know, he's going to be looking for the best deal. He's going to test the free agent market. He's not going to say, oh, hey, we'll take a sweetheart deal because I want to be in Philly. You know, I don't I, know that that happens. I realize that. I, I think uh, certainly the Phils have the, the inroads to him. But uh, let's Why? Put, uh, what well, inroads? Simply that he's uh, through the Orioles, the, a bunch of the, the front office staff has – come from the Orioles they they were there when they drafted them whether it was Klintak or Andy McPhail or the assistant GM but I think the question though really becomes is do the Phils have to worry about the Dodgers I mean the Phils have the money to, to, to throw at Boris um, I don't think that's going to be a problem uh, it's just does he want to play for the Dodgers I think that's the only concern the Phils would have and if they go and make that trade before July and I think uh, that might be something you have to really consider. That's just my thought. What does the trade actually get you in ter terms of value? Okay, so 
maybe he gets you a couple games. I'm not sure what his war is right now, but you know, you might win a few more games this year, but you're giving up premier prospects, not just one, but you're looking probably maybe three or four premier prospects to acquire him for as a rental player. And I think that's ultimately what you have to recognize. What what prospects are we really talking about? I think uh, if you can uh, obviously sidestep Sixto Sanchez, I think uh, it's something you have to delve into. It, it comes back to the fact that what's the overall outlook? And, and if you look at John Middleton, you just got to know he's probably chomping at the bit to make his move earlier than later. Um, it just seems to me that it's inevitable that he's going to throw the big money. But if you can throw the big money and sign him as a free agent in the offseason and not get rid of those prospects, and then you can spin those prospects maybe for a reliever, uh, you know, fill in some of the other deficiencies that they have, I, I think that's the better route. I mean, I, I don't think the gain is very much if you get him in season right now. I mean, for, the, for a team like the Phillies. So essentially what you're saying is if you don't get Machado starting August 1st, um, it doesn't matter if it's going to put them over the top against the Braves and, and ultimately hold off the Nats. Um, is, is that essentially what you're saying? But, but, but at what cost? I mean, you have to – you know, the Phillies are not a team that they're challenging for the World Series this year. Okay, wow, you, you get one division title. We've, we've seen how that works out for the Mets when they kind of make those – short-sighted moves and give up some of their top prospects so that they can compete this in the current year. And then two years down the line, they're the, one of the worst teams in baseball. Well, I think you have to really take a, a deep look into the, the Phillies minor league system. Can they withstand uh, giving up certain prospects? Uh, to me, that's something you'd have to really closely look at. But if you're going to put Machado in this lineup, it's going to put a, a huge bat in the middle of it. It's going to make Hoskins better. Uh, you know, where do you? How does it affect Herrera? Um, and ultimately, you're making a decision whether it's on Mikhail Franco or if it's on uh, Crawford. I think that would make the at least send a signal to the team of a, of specifically what direction you're going into. But. <laughs> And that's the thing in, in baseball. You're all, you know, all the players always talk, oh, the, the GM's sending us a signal that they're behind us. Guess what? They're behind you no matter what. Uh, they brought you in there. They want you to do well so that they can stay in their job and their position. And, again, you know, this whole, like, I need to know that they're behind us, it, it's kind of a joke. Uh, guys, guess what? You're ball players. Go out there, play your best ball, and, and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, I get it. If you are a team that has championship aspirations, expectations, and you need that one or two player to put you over the top, but you're, the, you're, the, you're, the Phillies are not. But in you're that. talking about Philadelphia, though. Uh, the, these fans are going to want that that big player earlier than later. Hey. Now, let me ask you something. You talk about the fans. Now, as the GM, is it your job to appease the fans, or I, is it your job to make the best team possible no, for I, now and later? And the way I look at it. I certainly would want the long view. Um, I'm a, someone who has agreed with the process, for instance. Um, but I think in terms of Klentak thinking about this, I think he might be more inclined to make the big move than not. And ultimately, it comes back to what's the, what's the price. Um, 
let's put it this way. The O's know they're going to lose them. So ultimately, maybe that price isn't as big as you really think it is. Well, that's and that's entirely possible as well. But if that price is lower, the competition increases. True. Uh, I agree. I understand what you're saying. I just think I think the Phils are going to be in a spot where they're going to be very aggressive. You haven't heard much lately. The last couple of days it's been a, a lot of uh, banter about the Dodgers getting involved, um, a couple other teams looking at them. It's starting to heat up. And the Phils haven't really said much. You certainly know what the fans are thinking. I just kind of get an inkling that the Phils are going to be very aggressive. Okay, so on that aggressive side, I've also heard uh, some chatter from various outlets that they could be interested in a reunion with Cole Hamels. Is it worth it? Well, if you're going to package that with Adrian Beltre, I think that obviously takes you away from Machado. Um, you know, dealing with uh, the pitching staff as it is, um, the pitching staff has been really good with uh, Eflin and, and uh, Nola. The, the other three have been up and down. Um, the uh, guy from the Cubs, Arietta. Arietta. To me, uh, I understand why they brought him in. I think long run, he's going to he's going to flame out. I think it's already kind of occurred in June. Um, but I think if you're going to make that run, Cole Hamels is an interesting possibility. You say interesting. I, I think he's. it would be interesting. It would be a nice story. It would be great media narrative. Oh, the fans would be happy until he comes in and pitches like garbage. True. I, I think, you know, again, a great Philly, you know, a, a great guy from all appearances. But come on, let's not live in the past. I mean, he did a great job for the Phils, helped them get over the hump, helped them win the World Series, and you know have some prolonged success there. Helped rebuild the team by being traded. But, but I, uh, you know, if you compare, if you compare a Beltre slash Hamels trade to a Machado trade, I think moving forward, uh, I would be of the mind that go after Machado. He's gonna, and if you can obviously throw the money at him, which you know the Phils are desperately looking to do that. My point is, go do that instead of bringing in the older players. Well, yeah, and Adrian Beltre, again, fantastic player throughout his career, you know, probably a Hall of Famer. But at this point, I think he has more value to the Rangers than he does to anybody else. You know, I mean, talking about all of his successes and, you know, really what he means to that organization, that's really important. But I, I think that, you know, getting him – on a team like the Phillies, it, 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 there's no fit there. It's and exactly, and it's exactly what Santana already brings in my mind. Which is very but little. Well, I mean, well, no, he brings more than Santana does. Who Beltry? Yes. Well, I, let's put it this way: I think Santana, with with his uh, analytics, you know, whether it's getting on base, I think he will provide over the long haul uh, a good enough. And you've already you've already set that. You've already spent the money on him. Why are you going to bring in Beltry when you can go after someone who's going to be young? Exactly. Uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't right. even entertain that. I agree. Now, when you when you talk about uh, the the relief options there, you know, do you think that it's possible they strike a deal with the New York Mets? You know, a dumpster fire that you know they're looking to unload some of their uh, free agents. You know, uh, Jerry's familiar. Like, do you think that's a possibility for the Phillies? I mean, get a, a proven closer uh you know again he may not take over the closer role with philly but you know a proven reliever that's had a lot of success in his career 
I think it's a it's a possibility. I mean, I think what it really gets us into talking about is, you know, what's the where are the Mets going? But I will say this: um, if you're going to bring in Machado, maybe they bring in Britain too. Uh, that's a name or, that you or, could. Uh, was it Brad Brock? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Brock is his name. Yeah, the, the lefty. Yeah, I think they're both some talented relievers. Now Britain, I think, struggled this year. Well, he's coming off an injury, I think he's getting his uh, velocity back up. At least that's what he was saying. Uh, in terms of the Mets, though, it depends on you know, are they willing to give up Familia. Obviously, um, if that's the case, then you know the Mets are probably going into a, a direction that they need to recognize that, hey, we need to start over. I think, you know, and, and Deadspin had a recent article about this, and it was spot on. You know, the Mets, if they're going to be a small market team, they need to realize that they're a small market team. If the Wilpons don't want to spend, don't want to – build their team up they need to kind of realize that and did you say small market well no here's the thing that you know they may be in the world's one of the world's largest markets but they operate like a small market team in terms of spending they're middle of the pack and they don't they're not spending i mean you know they kind of count the david wright contract as you know part of their payroll but david wright and that's the problem it's, it's, it's counted that that's insurance money they're not paying that so they're and again every year they have lots of money coming off the books, and they only reinvest a small portion of that in these old players that have, are past their primes, just a stopgap to try and fill things in and hopefully make a run. Hopefully everything breaks right and stays. You know, instead, you know what? If you're going to be, you know, essentially uh, operating as a small market team, and because you're whether you're unwilling to spend or lost money, then 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 admit it and. Do small market things. Do smart things. It's like start over. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, and here's the problem, obviously, and and I'm not uh, a New York fan by any stretch of the imagination. But the problem is, you know, you're in a city where you have to not only go up against the Yankees, but every other sport that they're they're dealing with. You have to recognize: Are you going to bite the bullet and and be bad for three, four years, and ultimately get those those picks, and then look into the foreign markets, and then really make that commitment are they willing to do that that's the question well and and here's the thing the Mets regardless of whether they want to admit it or not they it, it's been their cycle since you know the the late 90s where you're good for a year or two then you go into a four or five year cycle of rebuilding whether they want to admit it or not and, and, and going I, nowhere and, and and that's what they do I mean it, it's it's insane like at, at some point you have to realize it you need to tear it down I mean, you need to rebuild it. They they bet Sandy. You know, again, hope he gets better. Uh, you know, with all with all the cancer and the tough things that he's going through right now. But they bet on pitching, and you know the teams that are being successful right now, they bet on position players. You know, you look at Houston. You look at the Cubs. You know, a lot of these teams built their team around position players, and because pitching gets hurt, pitching either doesn't fulfill expectations, they get hurt. I mean, you know, the people kept saying, "Wow, the Mets, they're gonna." They're going to be competing for years because of that great rotation. Well, guess what? That rotation hasn't really ever been in sync and right. playing well at the together. same time. Sure. Uh, I, it's just ultimately the question of what direction are they going to go. And I don't think they want to admit you know, that they're going to just tear things down and still be able to not be heard at all in the in that market well, it's just something they're unwilling to do i think it's a little brother syndrome sure so absolutely. To speak. i mean you know you hear or read about fred wilpon 
and Jeff Wilpon talking about how the Yankees' spending is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Well, guess what? They've sustained it to what was it, 27, 28 uh, World Championships? I think they've sustained it pretty well. I mean, and you know, the Mets—they're just the fact that they're talking about not being willing to do deals with the Yankees because they're they're the Yankees. Get over it. Get the best deal. I mean, you know, do they trade Degrom and Syndergaard? That—that's really, I think, where. Things had, you know, Familia, he'll be gone, you know, to the Phillies or wherever else. It, you know, that doesn't really matter. He's a free agent to be, and let's face it, he's not quite the player he was. And when you're a bad team, you don't need to pay a closer so much money. But the key here is DeGrom. Again, he is a franchise pitcher. He's the kind of guy that can, you know, lead a staff, lead a team, put a team on his back, but in which he has done that, but they, they're not winning. They, don't, they either don't give him run support, the bullpen blows the games. I mean, they have a losing record in his starts. The guy has an ERA under two. <laughs> uh, you know, it definitely is, I think, a move you, you would expect them to make, especially if they're going to look to rebuild. I just can't imagine them not making a move like that. Pretty much the same reason I can't believe that we're actually spending this amount of time talking about the Mets. Good point. Good point. They don't deserve our time. Back for another segment of Poolside. Um, I think in terms of July being so hot, one of the hot topics we're faced with has been the recent NBA free agency. Um, the, the, big, the big news was where was LeBron going, uh, along with Paul George. And ultimately, it led to uh, a, some surprising signings. Uh, certainly, the DeMarcus Cousins going to the Warriors was a big shock to a, a few people. Um, so in terms of that, I think uh, the topic leads into a lot of different thoughts, whether uh, free agency for the NBA is something that's uh, good for the, the uh, creation of super teams or whether it's just something that you have to deal with. Yeah, uh, you know, you look at the super team and, and this whole idea of, Everybody texting each other, hey, you know, you go into L.A., you know, all those things. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, you have that Stephen A. Smith report, I believe it was, about LeBron texting Durant, texting all these guys about going to play in L.A. You know, GM LeBron, I, I think GM LeBron is bad for the sport. I think, <laughs> go ahead, Coach LeBron. I mean, you know, somebody tweeted out that it was, uh, you know, there was a promotion for Tyron Lue becoming the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers now that LeBron James is gone. Um, you know, clever, clever stuff. Um, but, you know, you take a look at the super teams. I mean, you know, we, really we had it with the Miami Heat. Um, you, you have it with the Golden State Warriors. I mean, Durant resigning, Boogie going over to uh, Golden State. I mean, it, well, you know, where does it end? Well, looking at what the, the teams have done just in the last week or even less than a week, everyone has been being signed to these one-year contracts or these one-plus-ones where it gives the uh, the option to the player so that teams can get out of it in terms of next year when the next huge free agency class is coming. So everyone's looking ahead. Uh, you look what, like you mentioned, Durant did. I wouldn't be surprised that considering where Durant wants – what if what he really wants to do. Does he want to go play with LeBron or does he want to go to the Knicks or move east? It gives everybody these options to, you know, as you said, create these super teams or not. Um, 
ultimately, let's face it, the NBA is a player's league. It's, it's certainly not created by anything else nowadays. The, the power is all with the, with the players. Yeah, and, you know, when you look at this, I, I think the NBA is one of the very few or if only sports or team sports where one player can make that much of a difference. I mean, we see it with LeBron in Cleveland. You know, he's surrounded by less than stellar teammates, and he continually takes them to the finals uh, because he is that good. And I think it's, you know, the super teams, certainly in football, you can't garner that much uh, talent, you know, to make a, a true super team. I mean, and the teams that have tried have failed. But, uh, you know, but in baseball, you know, you can have a superstar, you know, Clayton Kershaw, you know, Jacob deGrom, you know, those types of pitchers. And, you know, they, they pitch once every five days. I, I sure, I, but I agree with you. But getting back to LeBron, you know, you take LeBron out of the equation now. Uh, you know, what I find interesting is this year, if you're going to look at the Eastern Conference, and everybody wants to change the, the playoff seedings and all that, I think the Eastern Conference, it's easy to say that the Celts and the Sixers are going to really battle it out. But I, what I find interesting is now that LeBron is gone, it's going to it's gonna show that you need to have a deep team, a team that is going to be able to have some depth because it's going to be wide open. Now, granted, I realize the Celts have, you know, a lot of talent. And right now they are they look like they're going to be definitely the front runners um, unless the Sixers try and do something different. But where's it going to lead? It's, it's easy to say the, the East is going to stink, and it just might. But let's see what the Lakers do when it's just LeBron. I, you know, take him out of the equation, I think it certainly does change things. Yeah, and while it changes things – you're still uh, my problem with the NBA, and again, you know I'm not a huge basketball guy, but you know it's the haves and the have-nots. You're either you know a top seed and you have a chance to go to the finals, or you're an eight seed and you have no chance to you know to win. And and I think it, that's the problem with the NBA. I think the whole idea of the super team on one side and then the tanking team on the other. You know the whole process was based around creating a super team via the draft. And, you know, I mean... And it, and, but here's the thing. I think it still has the opportunity. To me, what Hinky did was, to me, in my opinion, ingenious. Uh, the thing is, you have to have the patience uh, to be able to garner all those assets and then use them correctly. And it's not necessarily a, uh, a slam dunk to put all that together, to not just st to stink to be able to get enough assets, but then to make the correct decisions when, once you have the ability to make those uh, assets come true. But here's the, the interesting thing. The NBA, because it's such a player's league and because of the length of the season, you know, you, you, you create these super teams. And look what the Warriors did. They were in uh, third. They came in third in the, the Western Conference. Yet you turn it on in April and May, it's a whole, whole different season when the playoffs come out come around so looking at it from a from a whole standpoint the season in a way you can make the argument kind of can be meaning meaningless maybe i don't know what do you well, think exactly and, and that's my problem the, the season is meaningless i mean some nights you know especially in you know basketball even baseball you know in those longer seasons you get so many meaningless games during the year where okay the stars are they're, they're sitting out this game and you know as a fan and if you're paying the ridiculous prices to go to those games, don't you deserve to see 
the best competitors. You know, you buy those tickets at the beginning of the season, you're thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to see, you know, K- KD and, uh, you know, Steph Curry and all those guys. And you're going and you're seeing their backups. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the fans kind of deserve that. And then on the flip side, you have the teams that have tanked and, you know, they're trusting the process and they don't have anybody worth watching either. But, hey, come on, keep coming out and trusting the process. Support us. And you're watching just a bad product on the court. And ultimately, I think if you're a fan, you're going to be there through thick and thin. Let's let's face it. A lot of the people, at least half the people that are going to show up and pay tickets, are going there because it's a night out. You know, you're not necessarily a fan. You might be getting these tickets comped. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? It's just... I think in the long run, especially as a Sixer fan, you know, yeah, I stopped watching for a long period of time. But in the, the the best time that I was most interested in the Sixers was draft season. What are they going to do to continue to build this team? You know, when they have the second or third or first pick of the draft, that's ultimately when I tuned in. Now, granted, does it stink throughout the season? Absolutely. But I think the payoff, especially the way the NBA is created, you know, you need stars. If you don't have a star, it's kind of like having, you know, a, a superstar quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you got nothing. Same thing with the NBA. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have two, possibly three stars, you're going to find it very difficult to match up in, in late May. Would you say Sam Hinkie's Trust the Process Sixers have three stars? I mean, you know, they've they've had top picks. I mean, Nerlens Noel, no, gone. Uh, Okafor, gone. Uh, you know, Fultz, the jury's still out. He can't shoot. Well, uh, you know, listen, Simmons, I think you have to really to take a close look at that. You know, you took Nerlens Noel because not only did you take Nerlens Noel, but you you, you got a, you took uh, – it was the start of the, the process when you traded uh, Drew Holiday. You started to then get some assets built up off of that, which turned into Michael uh, Michael Williams – um, Michael Carter Williams. So that led into more assets. The problem is when you get to the year where you have Embiid sitting out, you know, the funny thing is people are going to argue that, you know, Embiid didn't show up. He was two years out. Well, when those two years out, it allowed them to accumulate even more assets. And ultimately, believe it or not, if, if, uh, and Bede's playing, you probably don't get Ben Simmons. You probably aren't sitting there at number one. But the, the fact is, if you're looking at Okafor, that was a major mistake in a situation that, you know, his hands were tied. He didn't, wasn't sure to take Porzingis. Porzingis would have been terrific next to Embiid, but he didn't because Porzingis didn't want to play in Philly for some reason. So you take Okafor, and hopefully you were thinking maybe you could flip him. Well, then... Colangelo comes in, and that's not the case, and things changed. But looking at it from a whole, right now you're looking at someone like Fultz that if you're going to give up, you're going to give up on him. You're giving up on a very low amount of equity in terms of where he was drafted. Uh, to me, I think he's got the talent that if he fixes that shot, and I'm certainly hopeful and thinking that he will, I think it's going to pay off. And ultimately, you might make a trade without Fultz in it, Add faults to the third star, whether it's Leonard or somebody else. Maybe it's going to look pretty good. Now, on the on the grander scheme of things, should leagues start to put rules in place to stop the tanking? 
I mean, is that a is that influencing the nature of the game, the competitiveness of the game? I mean, if you're on purpose, you know, again, you know, the, maybe the player the players are obviously playing for their jobs, so that's a little different. But you know, if the organization is trying to tank and trying to lose for that top pick, you know, doesn't that call a lot of things into question? Because if the schedule's made and you know, Team X is not playing the tanking team, but Team Y is, and they make the playoffs. Doesn't that impact a whole lot of things? Shouldn't that that be put an, an end to it? Well, tell me how you're going to, you know, uh, create this situation where it doesn't pay to, to tank. I mean, are you going to create a, a, a draft of the lottery teams where the, the odds are a little bit more even? Uh, you, you have to do something because I, I think it's it really is – messing with the integrity of the game i mean you might even see that this has changed the integrity of you know seasons based on um, i mean more than peds i mean i mean seriously like is this is changing the outcomes of seasons of championships uh you know for a lot of reasons and give me an example besides the sixers in the cubs the astros i mean all those teams clearly have tanked well but and it, it, again, that that changes what's going on. I mean, you could say that the Phillies tanked there for a few years. It, it's t- it's tough to say. I, I think you're you know it's difficult to compare bas- basketball to baseball. I, with baseball, they they did poorly. Okay, the Cubs traded away a bunch of stars. The Cubs were struggling for a few years. So were the Astros. You get into those situations where all of a sudden now you're drafting. Those are two of the most solid teams going, if not favorites to to be in the playoffs, which in baseball is not very hard to do. But should that be a should that be okay? Because you know teams are actively trying not to succeed. Um, the other teams, you know, they're putting out resources, energy, uh, and you know, with the revenue sharing, should there be a requirement to attempt to win, to attempt to make the games meaningful? Because again, that can affect ratings. That can affect everybody's piece of the pie. To me, I just think if it's within the the realms of the rules, you're going to find somebody always trying to find a way to maximize their gains. And if it means being able to, in your what you're saying is tanking, I think you know it's very difficult to go against it. I mean, someone's always going to look for a way around things. In order, I mean. You know, I think right now you're going to get on that hamster wheel of what the Pittsburgh Pirates have been doing year after year, or the Cincinnati Reds have been doing it year after year. Or you, you take a look at some of these NBA teams who are always in the lottery, but they're never at the top of the lottery. So where are they going? They're going nowhere. Are they going to make the playoffs? They, they, they're in nowhere land. Were the Warriors at the top of the lottery? The Warriors. No, they didn't necessarily tank, but they were consistently bad. But they hit on two outstanding players that just turned everything around. And then ultimately, you know, they make they make a a draft pick in uh, in Green, second rounder from Michigan State, uh, that really helped to include both Steph and Clay. You, you get a team that's really – and they, obviously they made a trade for Iguodala, put things together, and then ultimately you got people – it also is the style, the way they play. It brings someone who, like Durant, wants to come play with them. But shouldn't you just hire better talent evaluators? 
hire better coaches to develop that talent? I mean, isn't that, you know, yeah, it's harder uh, because you're not picking at the top, but isn't that kind of the point? I mean, aren't you supposed to work at evaluating talent? It's not easy. We get that. But here's the thing, you know, uh, getting back to Steph, if you think about it, Steph had kind of mentioned, and this is where, you know, as much as the Sixers wanted, you know, not to go with Okafor, the interesting thing is Steph also mentioned that he didn't really necessarily want to play for the Warriors, but they drafted him anyway, and they put him next to Monte Ellis, which was essentially the same player. They they ended up trading Monte Ellis for some assets. And the next year they get Clay, and it kind of starts clicking, and they start building, and it kind of goes into what you're saying, but kind of a little bit, of, a little bit of luck there. I mean, Steph kind of fell, you know. The Timberwolves took Ricky Rubio. I mean, what has he done? Johnny Flynn. I mean, just unreal. But sometimes great players do fall. You know, and, and right. sometimes you trade up for a great player. I mean, you, now let's take a look at the NFL a little bit. I mean, the Browns have been tanking. They've been developing assets, you know, and again, constantly passing up on taking that star quarterback. I mean, Carson Wentz was right there. And the Eagles, you know, they didn't tank. They traded up. And they made the aggressive move to get Carson Wentz, and now they're Super Bowl champions for the first time in franchise well, history. But, but in, in an argument, and I, here's the argument: if you look at the Browns, uh, to me, I think that's almost ineptitude in terms of not taking Carson. I don't think they actually uh, were saying, "Gee, we're not taking Carson because we're going to tank." I think they just didn't like Carson Wentz because of that he was coming from a small school. I, I because if you think about it, they in the second round, I think they they drafted a quarterback that year. Correct. They uh, drafted from, Deshaun Kaiser right, from so, Notre Dame. So I don't think they were necessarily in the, the thinking mode that we're going to tank. They were in it from, from an analytical standpoint. Now, granted, I think that year they also changed their, free, their front office. So I think that's a question of them not cognitively saying we're going to tank, but saying we don't like Carson Wentz. But they did decide to tank. I mean, Mitchell Swart, Schwartz, a great lineman, or a very good lineman, they let just leave via free agency. Alex Mack, one of the best centers in the league, they let leave via free agency. They pretty much let every solid player, or, or mostly any good player that they had, leave in, a, in an effort to get the better draft pick. And again, they started trading for more and more draft picks. They thought, okay, we're going to play the odds. And, you know, the, the Sashi Brown experiment, you know, it, it didn't last. I mean, and here's the thing, you know, you you talk about tanking and how, you know, this is a better way to build and, you know, throughout the different sports. I mean, the only sports that have kept those GMs that have tanked, you know, that'd be baseball. Uh, you know, the, the Sixers, Hinky got run out of town. Um, you know, you look at the Browns, the Sashi Brown analytics experiment, everything that's going on there, boom, he's gone. But here's the funny thing. This is what I'm going to say to you. Looking at it hindsight right now. Right now, if you looked at the Sixers team right now, you wouldn't get rid of Hinky. This year, potentially, people are talking up the Browns all of a sudden because they've used all these assets, right? So maybe Sashi Brown wasn't so far off. But are the Browns better than they were? You know, was, do they have more talent than they did a few years ago when they started tearing everything apart? I would, I would argue I, I, yes. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's true. I mean, when that, that year when they had uh, well, they, you know, Kyle Shanahan running the offense uh, with Mike Pettin, they had some good defensive players. Um, they had they great linemen. Anywhere? Were they going in? Who was their quarterback? They're, they had Brian Hoyer that year and Johnny Football. Now, that was a, a case of the owner meddling into the evaluation. Kyle okay. Shanahan has gone on 
record. And again, you know, everybody's going to say that they have, you know, 100% accuracy with all quarterbacks. You know, Chip said he uh, he had Dak Prescott as his guy, you know, wanted to draft him. You know, uh, Bill Polian says he had a first-round grade on Tom Brady, and that's, you know, a, a something for another day. But, you know, he said, you know, look, I wanted, to, you know, Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo that year. Wow, and they end up being good. And, you know, I think through Kyle Shanahan's evaluation – and his ability to develop quarterbacks, I think he's, you know, probably not lying. And, you know, they didn't listen to their offensive coordinator. And, again, that led to him leaving and, you know, eventually uh, Mike Pettin's downfall. But they had a pretty good coaching staff there. Look at Mike Pettin is a great defensive coordinator. Again, head coach, I don't know. Kyle Shanahan as your um, offensive coordinator. Uh, later on, they bring in Joe DiFilippo. Um, and, you know, they then they just demolish that entire team. Where you have Joe Staley, you're Alex Mack, you have your Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, your offensive line would have been good. Uh, you had Duke Johnson. You had um, oh, uh, Isaiah Crowell. I mean, th there were some good players on that team. You know, Josh Gordon was still there. I mean, and then they just dismantled that. Okay, good point. But, you know, did they have the quarterback? I'm going to argue, as much as you made that point, I, to me, let's look at this situation with the with the uh, Vikings this year. Is if Cousins is going to be that guy, you know, to me, I'm not so sure he's that type of franchise quarterback. And ultimately, I think that's why the Browns went the direction they did. Once they made that decision, you know, you got to go full bore. And I, I respect that they did it. They they lived through through two years of just awful football. Absolutely. Maybe they're going to come out of it. That 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 division right now outside of the Steelers is pretty bad. And well, that's that's a great point. But at the same time, how many of those Sashi Brown players never had a chance to develop and perform just because they were surrounded by other inexperienced or bad players? And I think that you know football is a sport unlike any other because it is so dependent on the people around you. I mean, you could be exposed to injury just because of you know the lesser quality of players around you, the inexperienced quality of players. Um, you know, it's not like the NBA where, you know, I think that, you know, you can still develop as a player, even if depending, it doesn't really as matter as much of who you're playing with, you know, and, and I think that that's, that's a big problem. I mean, but you, we've also seen teams like, again, the Patriots, they came out of a funk by drafting Tom Brady and, the, and developing Tom Brady. San Francisco 49ers trade a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, who looks to be on his way. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, geez, you know, where would the Packers be? The Packers would be garbage if it wasn't for finding Aaron Rodgers falling to the end of the first round, uh, you know, that year. So uh, and I think the NFL is a little bit different in terms of you can't really tank. It doesn't really work so much. I mean, look at the Seattle Seahawks uh, mini, you know, I can't, I guess you can't say a dynasty because they only won one ring. But, um, you know, their level of competitiveness was based on a few really good drafts they didn't they were constantly trying to get better. They didn't take the time to tank. I mean, I think it's really talent evaluation and player development more so than tanking and getting all the picks. My question is, how the hell did we get talking about the Cleveland Browns? Tanking. Trusting the process. That's how. We'll see. Now... When you start thinking about LeBron James, you know, when we talk about greatest player ever, you know, him, Jordan, Wilt, you know, there are some things that we still want to keep into perspective. LeBron just went to L.A. 
you know, and he's going there, and he's passing up opportunities to win. He's passing up opportunities to be the very best to go to L.A. And, you know, obviously when he went to lesser teams to go to Cleveland, that, that's a little different because it's home. He wants to take a championship to Cleveland, his hometown, live around where he lived. But now he's out in L.A., and they are, their roster is in shambles, and GM LeBron, head coach LeBron, and player LeBron are all making their way to out to the L.A. Lakers. You know, should he face scrutiny for, you know, kind of going for the off-the-field uh, trappings of L.A.? You know, shouldn't he have gone to a, a place where he can win, a place that he can, you know, really be successful as opposed to just being out there in L.A.? You know, I mean, what do you think, Reams? I'll tell you, being a Sixers fan, uh, diehard Sixers fan, I, you know, I'm incredulous to say that LeBron passed up an opportunity to, you know, to go to a, the Sixers and really match, match his skills up with potentially two, and if they had made the trade for uh, Kawhi, three other superstars. Um, but I tell you, Bender, you know, you <laughs> You're, you're killing all the dads out there. Let's face it, LeBron uh, supposedly went out there, whether it was his wife or because his kid was going to a certain high school, but also to set himself up for the, uh, the, the chance to, uh, to be in that limelight of L.A., to set up his business, to follow magic. And I certainly understand that. Um, but if you're, looking, you know, if you're looking at athletes, you've got a window of opportunity to really set your set your legacy and granted let, let's face it what LeBron just did for the for the Cleveland Cavaliers lugging that team to the uh, finals was incredible and to think that he could probably do it with the same uh, type of roster I mean Ingram's a terrific prospect you got Kuzma who's a, a really nice two-way wing um, the question then becomes you know do they try and swing a trade? I mean, they've just brought in a bunch of questionable Rajon Rondo, uh, the uh, couple other, whether it's uh, his uh, Richardson or the the guy that blows blew in uh, LeBron's ear for uh, when he played for the Pacers. Uh, just some questionable guys that fit with LeBron. You just wonder, is he really looking to to go, or is he really looking out? And granted, he, he signed for four years, with a, uh, three years with a player option. So he's looking down the road, I think, to really uh, go after the Warriors and anybody else. Uh, but you got to start to think that he's going to be 35. Is he going to, you know, he's going to be 36. Is he going to be, you know, still at that prime? And granted, he's superhuman. I, I get it. It's just, it's a killer that he didn't come to the Sixers. So would you say that the this move was less about basketball and more about, you know, setting up his brand. You know, again, he's the greatest player in, in basketball in the world right now. Um, <clears throat> and again, not to take anything away from any of the other players, but you know, he's the greatest player at this time. Don't you think he should have gone to, you know, the Sixers? Again, you know, you're a Sixers fan, so you're going to say that. Or, you know, any of the other options that would give him a chance to really compete. Or do you think... You know, is this his ego playing to it? I mean, is he... Oh, absolutely. I, if he takes this team, once again, it's going to be incredible. It, you know, to think that he's going to be able to get not past, not only past the Warriors, but, you know, you're looking at a Houston Rockets team that's decent. There's a couple other decent Western Conference teams. 
that would probably be able to match up. But still, you know, he, he went through the Eastern Conference. I mean, yeah, he was going to beat Toronto. But I was surprised he got past the Celtics. Um, granted, you look back at Game 7, the Celtics, in my opinion, probably lost that game more so than LeBron just won it. Um, they, they really struggled in the fourth quarter. I think the pressure got to them. But moving forward, I, he definitely went there. I think this, this was decided qu quite a while ago. Um, I, let, let's face it, there was no way he was going back to Cleveland, even though I heard rumors that he was looking for people to come to Cleveland for one year, and then he'd move again to L.A. next year when uh, there was an opportunity. Hey, let's face it, the, the Warriors were broken down at certain parts of the year. Uh, Steph was hurt. He's, you know, he's always got those uh, questions. Uh, Durant was struggling a little bit at times. Uh, Clay gets these little minor injuries. So, you know, you, you stop to think the Warriors aren't going to last forever, but now they go out and get Cousins, and if he can rebound by the time uh, 2019 comes around, that's a heck of a starting five. But, yeah, to me, LeBron did this more so to set up himself and his family rather than just to win in 2019. But well, beyond that, who knows? What do you think is more important to his legacy? Would it, would it be to win, to chase the championships, or would it be to say, wow, I put another franchise on my back? He's always said he's, he's, gone, for, you know, he's gone for championships. It, you know, he's, he's always mentioned he's trying to be – you know, up there with Jordan. Now, granted, Jordan didn't go to as many championship series as he has. It's incredible what LeBron has done. But Jordan won. That's true. Absolutely. And, you know, the sheer – and you could look at the different talent of the other teams that Jordan was playing against. I mean, granted, you know, he went up against a, a Lakers team that was pretty old. Magic was on his last legs. Um, he started beating, I guess, uh, the Trailblazers. They weren't necessarily a terrific team. Then he get, then he beats Carl uh, Malone and John Stockton. I, I get it, you know. But they, he wasn't going up against uh, the same caliber teams that I think LeBron was going up against. So really, you you don't think that that era of basketball can compare? The competition can compare to what LeBron is currently facing. Uh, I think, you know. If you look at Jordan, if you strictly compare Jordan to LeBron, I think LeBron has morphed into a, a closer resemblance of, of Jordan as he has gotten older. When when LeBron was younger, he he was a much more rounded player. He, he dished the ball a lot, gave up the shots. I think so. He really relied on his teammates. And when he went to Miami, he just you know it was a no brainer. D Wade and Bosh and all those other players that were with him. Um, I think this year, though, he realized that he couldn't just, you know, rely on his teammates and ask them to make plays by him giving up the ball. So in that regards, I think he's become more and more like Jordan. But, you know. But Jordan that, was a winner. But if, if that's the case, shouldn't he have gone to a situation where he can use his teammates? Or is this kind of like one of those situations, you know, and again, people say this about Dan Marino. No, he was such a great player and such a great passer, but he wanted his team to be set up as a passing team and didn't really want that running game as much because it wanted he wanted to be throwing the football. So, and I think that that kept him from ultimately winning a championship, you know, because I think his ego gets a little bit in the way. You know, is LeBron's ego causing him to 
or will it cause him to win fewer championships in the end? And, you know, does that diminish him in the greatest basketball player ever debate as compared to Jordan, who was always about the winning? I think the potential there is certainly uh, is, is certainly there in terms of, you know, he's not going to get there this year as their, as their roster is set right now for the Lakers. There's just no way. Um, you put him, you insert him on the Sixers team. Well, then, what do the Sixers do? Do they make a trade and bring in Kawhi? If that's the case, you know, you got a chance, but do they have enough depth to get past Boston? You know, is that playing in his head? Or does he not, or did his ego get in the way and saying, you know what, I can go to the Lakers and still win? And who knows what Magic has up his sleeve and what other moves they got? I mean, granted, till February, when the, the trading deadline is, who knows what they can pull off? But I think what surprised me the most, two things. Number one, Paul George re-signing with Oklahoma. I think that really puts an interesting spin on everything. But that forces, I think, uh, LeBron to say, hey, I'm giving the the Lakers four years. He's looking at this long term. I just don't know if, you know, if they go out and they get Kawhi or if they bring in, God God forbid, Durant next year, then this argument's null and void but uh i think it's it's going to hurt him in the long run in terms of him actually winning championships I mean, yes we we have lebron you know you say he's looking at the long term i mean geez how old is he right now 33 33 yeah I think 33 years old and you know he's i think he's going to get to a point and you know i i hope this doesn't happen but sooner or sl- sooner or later he's going to slow down or he's going to become injury prone and you know that's got to be it, it's kind of one of those things that happens to everybody, to every, even the greats. You know, and he can spend his millions of dollars every year to maintain his body, but at some point, you know, Father Time is undefeated. I, I tell you this: what's what's interesting though is this past year was was a year where he missed very few games, if not the least that he's done, at least in the in the the recent past. I mean, for a while there, a couple of years with the Cavaliers, he'd take a, a few games here, there, maybe a week off in uh, March just to get ready he didn't do that this year he was just full bore ahead and he was fantastic there's no doubt about it I mean you, you put his numbers up against uh, Harden and it, it's a definite debate I mean it's probably a no-brainer he's the MVP it's or, or the, the most incredible player there's no doubt about it um, but Harden made that Rockets team incredibly difficult to play against also but uh, you know you put him next to uh, ball that'll be an interesting uh combination if they can actually uh, share the ball and then you add Rondo to that it's it's questionable I, I I'm surprised the Lakers made the moves they did uh, unless they really believe that strongly in Kuz, both Kuzma and Ingram now this is something that I've really been um, wondering about you know if, if you're Luke Walton coach of the <laughs> uh, Lakers and throughout LeBron's courtship or their courtship of LeBron, LeBron didn't meet with Luke Walton, didn't talk to him. Did, they, they haven't talked, they haven't texted, they haven't, you know, anything. You know, what are you, what are you thinking if you're Luke Walton? Uh, he's on the hot seat, for God's sakes. <laughs> That's, I think, pretty apparent. Hey, listen, LeBron's always been uh, a difficult guy to coach, I, even Spolstra struggled initially there's no doubt about that they, there was I remember that first year but they were saying gee you know let's bring Riley back onto onto this the bench so it's there's definitely going to be 
a period of adjustment that's going to be needed. If I'm Luke Walton, that's certainly not a uh, – and let's face it, Magic inherited Luke Walton. He didn't go out and bring Luke Walton in. He was already there. So, you know, I'm not so sure how many uh, people are in his in his uh, back pocket or supporting his him. Corner. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I mean, so – so do you do you think he makes it through the first full season, Luke Walton? You know it's tough. I, you know, with LeBron, you, you got to figure. Let's put it this way: David Blatt, when when LeBron went to Cleveland, David Blatt was in over his head, and he he was sacrificed real quick. I don't see that happening with with Walton. I think Walton has a little bit of credibility. I mean, heck, he was on the the Warriors staff. He, he's he's played for the Lakers. I, I don't know if it'll be that easy to get rid of him. Let's face it. I mean, LeBron's going to be the coach. I mean, LeBron's going to direct everything. It's just a matter of can the roster gel? And, and with the players they brought in initially, you got to wonder because I don't, you know, outside of Ingram, who, where's your shooter? Where's your outside shooter? That's going to be that's going to be strange to me where they fit. You know, Lance Stevenson ain't – I'm not sure he's going to gel. That was a real strange signing. Yeah, and, you know, and we, we, we're talking about LeBron's legacy. I mean, do you think that his ego – again, with maybe – I don't want to say he's been unwilling to be coached, but he's difficult to coach. I mean, he's calling the shots, and it almost seems like he's reluctant to go to a place that has that really strong um, coach. You know, I think he's reluctant to – know really be coached and and you know be in that position uh, do you think that's cost him championships do you think that's i don't i don't think so i i mean let's face it he's he's run up against the warriors which has been a, a very difficult uh matchup i mean winning in 2016 was incredible game seven uh and you could see you know he was all he was he was making defensive plays that was out of this world i i i'm i don't think it comes down to necessarily coaching in terms of if you have LeBron on the on the on the team, let's face it. How many coaches are those big time coaches in the NBA anymore? It's it's a players' league. The players run the NBA. Let's face it. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, I think it's a GM and a players' league. You know, I think these GMs a lot of times that are able to swing trades. You know, your Danny Ainge's are <coughs> certainly people that are helping run this league and make it happen. Although sometimes I just think it's it's really the players. The GMs are just kind of in the position to have players fall into a lap because they want to play with the other players that they already have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you bring up the Celtics. There's no doubt that Brad Stevens is a heck of a, a coach. I, I wouldn't put him in terms of, you know, being, I guess, dictator would be the, the all or nothing type of coach that, let's say, Pop is. But uh, – you know, you add him with Danny Ainge, there's a certain type of player that comes into Boston. And, they're, you know, it's why I think eventually they're going to trade or, you know, they're going to let go of Kyrie. I, I don't see him uh, staying. I, it'll be interesting to see how that falls. But getting back to LeBron, I, I don't think he's cost himself championship wins because of any certain certain decisions he's made. Uh, he went to Cleveland for a reason. He fulfilled it. Ran up against the Warriors. I just think it was a curious decision. This was a decision that was made. Strictly, not necessarily all 
to deal with just basketball. And, you know, GM Reams, Jordan or LeBron to start your franchise? Well, you know, the way I look at it, I think LeBron, I would probably say LeBron. I wasn't I wasn't always of that mindset simply because you know Jordan was just an he was just a killer. I think Jordan you needed a certain type of player to play with with Michael. He was a very difficult teammate because he, he set the bar incredibly high. Um, LeBron shared the ball more. Uh, I think uh, you know in terms of perimeter defense, I think Michael was a better defender. Um, but LeBron, when his mind was put into it, he could defend anybody. Um, I think that he had a little bit of magic in him in that terms of being able to defend anybody. Do you think that LeBron passed the ball more because his shot wasn't as good as Michael's or isn't as good no. as Michael's? I, you know, Michael always had that outside shot from the beginning, from his days in Carolina. There was no doubt. And it only got better. Uh, and plus the three-point line just was coming into play. Um, but it, it's totally transformed the game today of what LeBron has dealt with. LeBron's ability to see the floor and his ability to uh, control the ball and see the floor and make plays is what allowed him to make the, the, the passes he made. I don't think he necessarily uh, passed it to get the ball out of his hands. I think he always was of the mindset of let's make the basketball play, and he was fantastic, and he still is fantastic with it. Um, so his overall game, his all-around game, is the reason I would give. Uh, if I had to start a team, I think I would take him. Um, there's not much he can't do. That's how I would look at it to answer that. But, heck, I'm going to say Ben Simmons, for God's sakes. Oh, stop. Ben Simmons with it. Come on. We, we saw his shot and how bad it is. Of course. I mean, course, at some I point, you've, you've got to be able to shoot the basketball. I mean, down under for God's sake. How do you become, you know, a star, a franchise player without being able to shoot the well, basketball? I mean, come way. on now. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it this way. Uh, he was a reluctant shooter. I think if he's going to be able to uh, get better, he's going to have to realize he has to shoot, make or miss. Um, his form is a little bit question. I think he can tighten up. He can get that elbow in a little bit tighter at certain instances. I think on the free throw line, you can see that. Um, he's got to become more of a willing shooter because it's going to open things up. Um, but he's 21, 22. Uh, you know, I think we'll, let's see how he develops. But I'm not, I'm not putting him in that realm yet. Not yet. He's close to magic, but we'll see. Close to, come on, <laughs> close to magic. We'll see. I, you know, the kid's got a lot of a lot of growth still to uh, see. Let's let's uh, let's see. You know, I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm bullish on what they're gonna turn into. I certainly am, and I think Brett Brown's a heck of a good coach. I think he's, you know, people are, people crush him for the Celtics series, getting out coached. But uh, you know, a couple plays here and there, and it's a different series. Um, but the matchups certainly not in the Sixers' favor. They, they got killed both on the wing, and Terry uh, and Rozier just crushed them too. So hopefully, it, the Philly fan has to realize that this is the, trust the process. A lot of people don't want to deal with that. It's a it's a longer process. I mean, how many? Let's face it. You look at the Celtics. I mean, this is their third year with Brad Stevens, and they got to the finals. Well, the the two previous years, they didn't do too well in the playoffs. So I mean, it's a it's a process. 
and people have to realize that. It's a process. LeBron didn't win his first year. I mean, Jordan had to get through the, the, the Detroit Pistons. I mean, it's – listen, it doesn't happen overnight. Trust the process. Trust it. And that'll be the end of this deep dive. This is from out in left field, our predictions, both short-term and long-term. Uh, Reams, you want to start off with your prediction? I'm going to say uh, one of my predictions long-term, and it's relatively uh, short in the long-term, in terms of July 31st, I'm going to predict that the Phillies will not trade for Machado. I'm going to agree with that. Uh, I think that there's just no way they pull the trigger on a deal that really, just wait. Just wait for next year, and you'll be better off. Here's my bold long-term prediction. The Super Bowl champion will not make the playoffs come this football season. So the Eagles will not be in the playoffs. That's, that's I got to laugh at that prediction. I guess both Nick Foles and uh, Carson Wentz are going to have to be uh, hurt this year. And, you know, <laughs> that's funny. Um they that's hard to believe i'm i'm just flabbergasted that you come up with that prediction but i'm going to hold that to you not even make the playoffs um i'm going to say that uh jim harbaugh will have a very quiet college football season what that means we'll have to discuss in future uh future episodes however what i am going to mention is uh the World Cup will be uh, ending in the, f- in the next uh, few weeks. I'm going to say my team that's going to win the World Cup, and this is a shout-out to uh, our good friend Howard Emerson, I'm going to say France will be the winner, even though it's easy to say Russia. But I'm going to say France. What about you, buddy? Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely – you didn't even give me a chance to explain my uh, Eagles prediction, but the Eagles prediction – well, it's because I was just totally flabbergasted, but coming from you, go ahead, explain it. All right, so here's how I see it. Carson Wentz, we don't know how healthy he's going to be. We don't know how susceptible to re-injury he's going to be. And, you know, again, I think they lost a lot of brain power in Philly. You have uh, Frank Reich going over to be the Indianapolis Colts head coach. You have Joe DiFilippo going and uh, being the Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. And, again, uh, I think that, you know, those guys played a large role. I mean, I think it was a very collaborative effort, uh, you know, on their offensive staff, but I think they were extremely important. So I think that's going to hinder them in some ways. I think that, you know, Nick Foles, again, one of the great Super Bowl performances, one of the great, uh, you know, uh, playoff performances, but I don't know that he can do it again. I mean, he had that that stint with Chip. He had, um, you know, Obviously, you can't count anything with Jeff Fisher as your head coach if you're an offensive player. Um, but I just don't think that he would have that kind of a run, uh, you know, in him yet again. Again, I, I think that the Cowboys are going to be a better team. I think, you know, they're going to put some of the distractions behind them. Um, I think that their DAC-friendly offense might – I don't even know what that means, but I think it might be better for them. Uh, they're definitely going to lean on Zeke. Uh, you know, have him there for the full year. I think that, you know, they're certainly doing some things, helping their defense get better. Who knows, maybe they do still end up trading for Earl Thomas. I mean, the Giants, I 
don't think the Giants are going to be very good. But, you know, they might steal a game or two here and there. I love these July predictions of the <laughs> NFL. We haven't even gotten into camp yet. And I'll tell you this much. No, that's why that's why it's long term. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I hey, you but know, the, if I'm right, man, you're saying, wow, that's a visionary. Uh, if not, <laughs> the, you know, Eagles, the, the Eagles have a very difficult schedule. I, I'll put that. I'll give that as an add-in. However, um, it, I'm going to predict this, and just from what I see, week one, Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's my predi- There's a prediction for you. What happens if he struggles? I mean, seriously, if he struggles, I think well, some of the whispers kind of start coming out. Wow, you know, Nick, Nick led us to a Super Bowl, you know, and and some doubt, you know, kind of comes in. If he's struggling back from his rehab, if he's, you know, just not the same sharp Carson, because I mean, he hasn't played football in a long time. I mean, that that injury was significant, and. If he does not come back to form right away, I mean, do people start looking at it as, you know, wow, they're they're really not doing what's best for us. Maybe he needed to sit out a little bit longer. Uh, we'll have to see on that one. Uh, jumping the gun there, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning into the Poolside Genius, and you know, give us a ring, dial up, and give us your feedback for anything that we want to do. Again, give us a five-star review on iTunes and any other apparatus that you are listening.